Let's go to Los Angeles, where the great Alan Minsky is standing by. He is executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, PDAAmerica.org. How are you feeling, sir? Well, I'm okay. Uh, today I'm feeling okay. This is a very unique circumstance to adjust to. There's nothing like it any of us, I'm sure, have ever gone through. Um, I've had the peculiar um, experience of having this hit a uh, part of the world that I'm very close to a little earlier than most Americans. I, uh, My family actually has an apartment in the city of Bergamo in Lombardy in Italy, which if people have been following the news from over there, that city is the single worst city hit in all of Europe. Uh, and we have friends who are sick there, so that's been very troubling. Um, tragically, I think I all that means is I'm just a couple weeks in front of where everybody else is going to be. Fortunately, no one who is dear to us that we know of has died there, but we do have three friends who are quite sick still. Quite sick. What did Italy, what do you understand the the problem with Italy to be? Because they're, I, I don't mean to be glib here, but if we can trust the numbers coming out of Wuhan, Italy seems to be surpassing China in terms of deaths. You know, oddly, um, my mom and sister were in Italy. My mom is 91 at the time. However, they were not in Bergamo. They were in Florence and then Rome. In fact, we tend to um, rent out our apartment in Bergamo in the months other than the summer, which is usually when my mom is there. So it was odd that she was in, in Italy at the time. But the problem was in the north. And they got down to Rome when the problem really kicked in, and then they closed everything down. Now, the problem with the way the Italians responded is they didn't close the north down fast enough. In fact, it looks like they left many large businesses, including factories, open in the north. So, you know, apparently the, the virus was introduced by a tourist who had come from China. Who knows if there'll be more details about that coming forward. But there are a few things to understand about northern Italy, including Bergamo. The population density is like New York City. In other words, it's unlike anything else we have in the United States, because New York is obviously a complete outlier in terms of population density when it comes to the United States. Italy is incredibly densely populated. The region is. Um, and then the city of Bergamo itself is a town which is a tourist attraction, and every weekend people from around the region flood into it in a very packed old medieval town where there's always something going on in the streets and people are just socializing very closely, a very old population, a lot of smokers in Italy, and yeah. all of these intriguing factors. Yeah. But the fact that they didn't shut it down fast enough is why you have such a split between the South and the North and why it's so bad in the North. And during the debate between Biden and Bernie, one of the things Biden said was, well, Italy has socialized medicine, <laughs> and, Ber and Bernie didn't respond to that. Do you know what kind of medicine, what kind of, do they have socialized medicine? What kind of medical care do they have in Italy? In Italy, when you go in and you need treatment, uh, if you need emergency treatment, it's completely free. Um, the cost of doctors is incredibly low or negligible. I'm not entirely sure what their system is. You know, there are all sorts of hybrid systems over there in Italy, but it's one of these countries where there's complete universal coverage that extends, by the way, to tourists who are there. Uh, and uh, and it is um, half the cost uh, per person that it is in the United States, and it's considered to have an, an excellent health care system. I mean, the problem here is, again, with the 
the notion of flattening the curve that we've all learned about in terms of the strategy that's being adopted by pretty much all the governments around the world now, uh, Northern Italy didn't go into the kind of quarantine that was necessary to achieve that. So in the region, and in particularly tragically in the city, I know as well as I know Los Angeles, um, it, it just, uh, the hospitals were completely overwhelmed. And, you know, you can find the footage online of the hospital emergency rooms, it looks like. People really have to have a strong constitution to look at those videos. Yeah, there was a piece in Bloomberg last week about how they report the coronaviruses in Italy alongside the comorbidities. That, that there is a possibility, and again, I don't mean to trivialize what's going on, but there is a possibility in this Bloomberg piece that something like 99% of the fatalities from the coronavirus in Italy had a co comorbidity. In other words, it either was a very old person, somebody with leukemia, somebody with advanced stages of emphysema. Have you heard anything about the way they're reporting the deaths? Yeah, um, I, yeah no, I think, I think that this was um, something also that came up in, as we're speaking uh, today on Monday in today's press conference with the Trump people. Uh, but here, here's the thing is, again, I think what happened, again, in a particular town, and, and even very specific to Bergamo, there even was a nearby town where they closed things off, and it had, it had half the death rate that they had for Bergamo, right. and that's for a stretch of days. So what happened here is the, the hospital wards were overwhelmed there. It's the one instance we know of in the world so far. And again, unfortunately, it looks like there are going to be more coming soon. But we'll see how all these curves look in the next few days. Um, and hopefully, if there's any truth to the idea that, that the, um, the the people who were afflicted, or if there's any over-reporting, by all measure, let's hope there was over-reporting because we don't want to have what happened there to happen right. here right. or anywhere else. So I check in with a correspondent from Global Chinese Television Network, Timothy Ulrich. He's an American citizen working over there. He says the numbers coming out of the, the Chinese government are to be respected. Everybody here says, no, the Chinese government lies. Meanwhile, I got Donald Trump on my TV in the background, and people are saying you can't trust the Chinese government. Do you trust the story coming out of Wuhan that it's now being contained? I don't know. I hope so. Again, I mean, I, I just, uh, like anybody else, and you know, as you know, I have a journalism background. And uh, obviously, in America, with social media and everything, there's always uh, conspiracy theories, misinformation. Then there's the question as to whether you can get honest information out of a society like China with the government that controls the information flow so, so, so thoroughly. Um, I certainly hope so. I, I don't know. I um, mean, I pretty much have watched a number of reports from Wuhan, and it does seem like they released a lot of health workers from there, and they were claiming that there are have been no new uh, deaths there recently. There have been some in other parts of China, but that they had contained it there. Now, you know, even with that level of containment and how they proceeded by um you know, the quarantining and isolation strategies that they did, which were, you know, achieved through very strict measures. The um, the question is then what happens to that population when 
uh, the virus, uh, when people get re-exposed to the virus. I mean, these things come in different waves. So we're going to learn all this kind of thing and, you know, how fast the, the immunities, I suppose the new term we're going to learn more about is called herd immunity. Uh, you know, how many, how, how significant portion of, of the population is going to, uh, have built up immunities to it. And of course, the only way you achieve that without a vaccine is through some contact, um, with, with the virus. I mean, just to, to round off, I'm no specialist in this stuff, but the kind of thing I'm learning about is, you know, they're, they're scrambling around. There are all these different, um, non-vaccine approaches that are being spoken about, obviously, the malaria drug that Trump has made famous and now that it's been a rush on, uh, in, you know, in pharmacies across the United States. You know, something like that is that, if we do this, the isolation, the quarantine, and we survive the first wave, hopefully there'll be ways to treat this that will be effective that, um, you know, the science will very rapidly um, recognize, and, and then they'll be mass-produced and they'll help out in that regard. Yeah. Jeet Hare over at The Nation magazine, who we've had on this show, and by the way, you have written for The Nation. You produce one of their podcasts. Jeet mm -hmm. Hare talks about therapeutic nihilism it comes to us from Austria in the late 19th century. Did you read about this? No, but it's, it's the kind of thing I normally love when I'm in a mood for loving things, which I'm not necessarily, necessarily in these days, but do, do please tell me about it. Well, you'll like this because it combines everything we're experiencing from Trump's podium. Therapeutic nihilism, according to Jeet here, came to us from <laughs> Austria in the late... 20, late 19th century, and it was a belief that... David, David, what, what didn't come to us uh, from Austria in the late 19th century? That's what I asked. Uh, yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Freud, then later Hitler, who knows? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so medicine was so bad in the late 19th century that it became a sort of received wisdom that first do no harm, that it's better to just let the disease take its course and the patient will be better off. I mean, George Washington was bled to death, you know, with so the the feeling was let the let the patient rely on its own body to cure it. And from that, Hayek, who's also from uh, Australia, he took you what I mean? I'm sorry. See what I mean? What didn't come from? So free market capitalism, Hitler, Freud, Wittgenstein, what didn't come from 19th century Austria? Right. And so Hayek adopted therapeutic nihilism from the medical community and transposed it into economics, where you just leave the economy alone and it will fix itself. And we're saying that from Trump's podium. He's saying we can't let the cure be worse than the disease. And uh, they want a smaller stimulus package. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Let's turn to yeah. economics, which you know something about. Nancy mm -hmm. Pelosi has introduced mm -hmm. a $2.5 trillion stimulus package. There's nothing coming out of D.C. right now. There's no stimulus package. Has she picked up the ball? A lot of people thought last week she dropped the ball. Are you happy with yeah, Nancy Pelosi? It, um, I, I'd rather just just pass on that. I don't think that's so much the issue as as um, uh, you know exactly the way this this was played out. 
um, the ball was in the Senate's court, but it seems like Pelosi has been in coordination with Schumer as they have pushed back on and basically blocked the Senate, the Republicans' bill from the Senate. And, and so now there's, the way it was going to work is that if a bill got passed that was approved by the Democrats in the Senate, the House was not even going to return back to Washington. They were going to just have a consensus from the Democratic caucus, the majority caucus, to let it go through. And there wouldn't be a bill from the House. There wouldn't be reconciliation. Now that's all in question, and the House has introduced a uh, what is what is the stimulus package that is has a lot in it that is that is much more agreeable to progressives than than anything we're ever going to see out of the Senate. So the issue right now, at the moment we're speaking, is is this just actually an extra bargaining chip for Schumer to utilize to get what he wants? Uh, so that the Republicans don't have to go into reconciliation with the bill that's introduced in the House. I'm actually guessing that that's the case. So I'm not quite sure if this House stimulus bill will ever play the conventional role of now having to go into reconciliation, which would produce a lot of very good progressive results if it did, much better than anything we get out of the Senate. But I'm, I'm imagining what's going to happen now is Schumer's going to have a stronger hand bargaining. They'll come together with something and then this House bill will will have not will not be part of what's presented going forward. I think that's the case. I could be proven wrong by tomorrow. Right. Five hundred billion dollars in loans to small businesses. Mm-hmm. Unemployment There's compensation of six hundred dollars per week for workers who have been put out of work specifically by the coronavirus. Good luck figuring out who hasn't been impacted. We'd each get fifteen hundred dollars, seven thousand five hundred for a family of five. This is Nancy Pelosi's two point five trillion dollar bill. It would provide one hundred and fifty billion dollars to hospitals and community health centers to buy, uh, you know, ventilators and, and stuff. Ten ten thousand dollars of student debt relief. There's there's a lot in there. Yeah, um, that's that's very uh, appealing compared to what's been bandied about in the Senate. But you know, it, just I know we don't have that much time, and and what's also phenomenal right now is what the Fed is proposing to do in terms of buying up corporate debt, something that never occurred during the two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, crisis at the height of that, but to utilize a sort of a parallel or analogous operation similar to what they did in terms of uh, the banks, um, but to do it now for not just banks but for major corporations and corporate, I mean, whatever. Maybe yeah, explain how this works, because the the biggest debt right now is corporate debt. Everybody thinks right. the stock market's doing well, so corporations are doing well, but corporations have racked up record debt, meaning they've issued bonds. Disney yesterday issued $5 right. billion dollars in emergency bonds. People buy them. I think they're paying like 3%. That would be a corporate debt, right? Right, and that is what that is what the Fed is basically saying they're going to do. I don't even think it's a matter of you know. I don't think that there's a they they say they said in what they released today, what Powell released today, um, that there was an aspect of looking for the Congress to do something to free them up to do more. So you'd have to go back and look at what specifically uh, Powell said today. But this is a huge deal when you look at the way that the American economy survived uh, as best, if you want to use that word, the 2008-2009 crisis, 
but for all of the things that happened with Nancy Pelosi and uh, you remember uh, what was the name of the guy Paulson and Pelosi. Paulson was on his knees to Nancy Pelosi at one point. George W. Bush is still president at this point. You know, McCain was resistant to it. Obama favored it. Obviously, Obama got elected and it continued from there. All of that drama that played out, uh, you know, in the halls of Congress. The Fed, of course, really was the operation that saved the financial system and even the global financial system. So it's going on away from Congress and the operations of the Fed is very, 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 very significant. It can't be overstated and may even be the larger part of how uh, American governmental institutions uh, navigate what's coming out in front of us. And by all measure, David, I mean, that, of course, the first order to recognize is this is, you know, astronomical. And, of course, the, the level in which it's astronomical, it's not around what happened in 2008, 2009 with so many people's uh, housing properties just absolutely tanking. Uh, the mortgages, you know, forcing waves and waves of foreclosures. That's the way it immediately impacts people. Here, as we all know, this is about unemployment, uh, no money coming into everybody's, uh, every household's, uh, individual household's coffers, uh, the incapacity to be uh, consumers anywhere near the level of what we were previously. Obviously, there's some frontline industries related to travel and tourism that are in more danger initially. And of course, Trump is oversensitive to those things. So let, let, let me just let, let's just understand something yeah. here, because yeah. corporate debt is, uh, you know, in excess of about ten trillion dollars. Student loan debt is about one point three trillion. I don't have it in front of me. No, one point one point six or seven. One point six or seven trillion. Mm-hmm. And they're going to bail out corporate America by buying those bonds and retiring those bonds. So if you bought that Disney bond that pays 3% and you own it, you what happens? You get a check from the Federal Reserve? You get money? Um no, I, I don't know that uh, they're first I don't know that they're retiring. And I apologize. I brought up a subject and I should know the details of it better. We really it, all I'm saying right now is people should go and read the details and understand as best they can just Google uh, the Federal Reserve and Powell. This was a proposal that was floated um, on Wednesday or Thursday, and when it's floated by the people on the bus that they floated it, you'll see it was more than just a matter of floating it. It was Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen, and they wrote an op-ed that I saw in the Financial Times, I think it was originally published in the Wall Street Journal, that these exceptional measures should be taken. Right. And now my understanding is is that it's a little bit analogous to um, TARP, in that the money that the Fed would use, right, generating funds in the way the Fed does to purchase the debt, that um, much like the way the TARP money came back, the money would come back ultimately from corporations. I mean, what we are faced with here, and this is why this is on the table, is that all these companies, which were uh, like individual households operating and paying their bills, balancing their books or not because they were running up massive debt because that's the way they they, they Excuse operate. Excuse me, I'm trying to understand when, when when they buy, and this is the Federal Reserve, so you can tell yeah. me anything and I'll believe it. When yeah. they buy bonds, mm-hmm. then who is... Yeah, is that's, the, that's the debt that they're buying up. They're and, bu- and again, the way, that, the way the term debt works in... You know, double entry bookkeeping can be itself a little bit counterintuitive to the way that we normally speak 
So, the, you know, what's a debt? What's an asset? Um, the corporations, though, are basically facing, obviously, very quick-term bankruptcy. They, like any other household right now, are in an analogous situation where they're simply not going to be generating any money. And so they need to be bailed out or we're going to wake up whenever this is over six months from now and they'll be these corporations will be non-functional. And in all so, fairness, not that anything's fair, right. these corporations, uh, they I mean, the, the $10 trillion of corporate debt is pretty bad. I think it's about half the economy, actually, that debt. Right. But but. They didn't shut down the economy. The government did to save everybody's um, lives. Well, there's that. And, um, you know, again, though, this is, a, this is exactly the type of thing in which strings should be attached in all of these ways. And, you know, when, gov when governments buy and save these companies, and it's not quite analogous to the banking situation because, yes, these companies are being killed by the virus not by their own malfeasance, as was the case with the banking industry in uh, 08 and 09. Still, the way a government can structure this kind of relationship is, for instance, um, and I think this, there was a good article written about it this, just today somewhere, and you have to look up Warren Buffett's relationship to Goldman Sachs, because Buffett apparently played a role of insulating Goldman Sachs from bankruptcy, and the way that he did it in 08 and 09 meant that he got a great return. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the Treasury then, right, and or the Fed, should get a great rate of return. In other words, we should be a privileged owner of these organizations, all of us collectively, when we bail them out, right? And that's something that you didn't see from the Bush and Obama administrations or the Bernanke Fed. So this time around, we should insist on that. But this brings us back to the political dynamics of Washington, and the broader political dynamics in the country where big money basically owns the political system. How likely are we to have the leverage to demand that the people of the United States get a return from the, as the companies, you know, start making, making profits, their stock prices go back up? Who's going to be the beneficiary? If we bail them out, we should be the beneficiary. I mean, that's the, that was the cardinal sin of 08 and 09. And that's very much what we are staring into right now is the same replication of the companies are going to be bailed out by us, the taxpayers. We're going to end up with a greater burden because of that, and we're not going to see any benefit. There's ways of structuring these responses where we are able to co-benefit moving forward along with the uh, otherwise benefiting corporate, uh, you know, very powerful, massive, wealthy corporations. Well, I think when Fed Chair Powell runs for re-election, voters should put his feet to the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> and then that, that, that brings us back to uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and, and Fed Chair Powell. To be continued, Alan Minsky is Executive Director of Progressive Democrats of America, PDA.org. PD, what, what is your website, please? PD America. PD America. PD and, yeah, and how do we follow the organization on Twitter? Oh, you find us by PD America on Facebook and PD America on Twitter. Uh, we're easier to find on Facebook for some reason as Progressive Democrats of America, but on Twitter our tag is PD America. And you also have a great piece over at Down with Tyranny, Howie Klein's blog. Love Howie. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. Last question. It's Biden, mm -hmm. right? That nothing happens, right, Bernie? It's over with Bernie. 
right? Oh, I don't know. I mean, this is a very dynamic situation right now. If anybody has been paying attention, uh, look, look, we have, this is a whole thing I wrote an article about and we haven't spoken about it. And I know you only got a minute left, but, uh, you know, there are reasons that the establishment, the American political establishment was hell bent on making sure that Bernie Sanders didn't, uh, get the nomination. And they pulled out all the stops and played their cards effectively and achieved the end. They felt they needed to achieve by blocking Bernie Sanders and giving the, um, nomination and the clear path for the nomination to a moderate, a non-Bernie Sanders candidate. Well, the one they settled on, is Joe up for the job? I mean, if you look at his appearance today and look at what he's done since this crisis has hit and compare it versus Bernie Sanders, yeah, you just pretty much are deluding yourself, just flatly lying to yourself if you think that Bernie Sanders is not up for this job and that Joe Biden is because the exact opposite is true. It couldn't be more clear. And not only that, but that Sanders, the very signature positions that he has foregrounded uh, throughout his these, these two presidential campaigns that he's run, clearly are responsive to the needs of the historic moment that we're in right now, and they're ever more necessary because of the crisis we're in now. And yet he will be blocked because of money and politics and all those things that, I mean, we're, we're, we have, you know, what, what do we need to do and what can we do right now is the question we should be asking to make sure that the response to the coronavirus is such that the people of the United States come out with a deal not only better than 08 and 09, but a more just economy moving forward. Second question is then, yeah, what can we do to get Bernie Sanders to be the Democratic nominee for president at this late hour? Because it sure would be good for the world. Stay well, sir. Thank you so much, David. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.